Part three, chapter thirty one of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Milevsky. Part three, chapter thirty one. Petronius did not deceive himself. Two days later, young Nerva, always devoted to him, sent his freedmen to Cumae with the news of all that had happened at Caesar's court. The death of Petronius had already been decreed. On the following day a centurion was to be sent to him with orders to stop at Cumae and wait there for further instructions. Another messenger was to bring the death sentence a few days later. Petronius received the news brought by the freedman with unruffled demeanor and said, Thou wilt take to thy master one of my vases that will be handed to thee before departing say to him in my name that i thank him with all my heart for now i shall be able to anticipate the sentence and suddenly he broke into a laugh like a man who has just thought of a splendid project and enjoys beforehand its fulfilment and that same evening his slaves ran about bidding all the augustales with their ladies to come to a banquet at the beautiful villa of the arbiter of elegance Petronius spent the afternoon hours writing in his library. Afterwards he took a bath, and then commanded the robe-folders to dress him. Splendid and adorned like a god, he went to the dining-hall to cast a connoisseur's eye upon the preparations, and then to the gardens, where youths and Grecian maidens from the islands were weaving garlands of roses for the banquet. Not the slightest anxiety was portrayed on his face. The servants only knew that the banquet would be something out of the common, for he had ordered unusual rewards to be given those with whom he was satisfied, and light floggings to those whose work should not please him, or to those who had previously deserved blame or punishment. He directed that the lute-players and the singers should be generously rewarded. Finally, seating himself in the garden beneath a beech, through whose foliage the sun made bright spots upon the ground, he called Eunice to his side. Gently touching her temple, he gazed at her with the admiration with which a connoisseur looks upon a statue fresh from the chisel of a master. "'Eunice,' asked he, "'dost thou know that for a long time thou hast not been a slave?' She lifted up to him her calm, heavenly blue eyes, and shook her head in denial. "'Master,' she said, "'I will always be thy slave.' but mayhap thou dost not know continued petronius that this villa and these slaves weaving garlands over yonder and all that is here the fields and the herds belong from henceforth to thee at these words eunice suddenly fell back a few steps and in a voice choked by emotion inquired why dost thou say this master she approached him again and stared at him with eyes full of fear her face grew as pale as a sheet he still smiled and smiling said only one word yes there was a moment of silence broken only by the rustling of the wind in the leaves of the boxwood trees petronius might almost have imagined that he had in front of him a statue cut in white marble eunice he said i desire to die in peace the girl gazing at him with a heartbroken smile whispered master i obey thee in the evening the guests arrived in large numbers they had been at many a banquet of petronius and knowing that in comparison even caesar's feasts seemed dull and barbarous 
many knew well that the clouds of caesar's displeasure hung over the arbiter of elegance but this had happened so many times and so many times had petronius known how to disperse them with a clever word or a bold act that no one actually believed any grave danger impended over him his gay face and customary careless smile confirmed the common impression the beautiful eunice to whom he had expressed his wish to die in peace and to whom his every word was as the word of an oracle preserved perfect calmness of expression there were marvellous gleams in her eyes as of inner joy youths with hair in golden nets stood at the threshold of the banquet hall on their heads were wreaths of roses in conformity with ancient custom they warned the guest to step over the threshold with the right foot foremost a slight fragrance of violets pervaded the hall lights burned in many-coloured alexandrian glasses beside the couches stood little grecian girls whose office it was to anoint with balsams the feet of the guests the walls were lined by lute-players and athenian singers awaiting a signal from their leader the table service was resplendent with luxury but that luxury did not offend the most critical taste it seemed to be a natural development cheerfulness and freedom from restraint pervaded the hall with the fragrance of the violets the guests as they entered felt that neither compulsion nor menace was hanging over them as they used to feel they did in caesar's palace where insufficient praise for a song or poem might be paid for by the forfeit of one's life the sight of the lamps of the ivy-covered goblets of iced wines embedded in snow and of the exquisite dishes cheered the hearts of the banqueters the conversation became as lively as the buzzing of a swarm of bees over an apple-tree in blossom now and then it was interrupted by a burst of gay laughter a murmur of praise or too loud a kiss imprinted upon a bare white shoulder as they drank their wine the guests spilled from their goblets a few drops to the immortal gods as a petition for protection and for favors to the host it mattered not that many of them disbelieved in the gods custom and convention commanded this petronius reclining beside eunice chatted of the current roman gossip of the latest divorces loves romances and races of spiculus who had recently earned fame in the arena and of the newest books which had appeared at the shops of attractus and socii pouring out some wine he explained that he poured it out only in honor of the cyprian goddess the oldest and greatest among all the gods the only immortal one enduring from the beginning and dominating every one his conversation was like a sunbeam which lights up every new object or like a summer breeze which rustles the flowers in the garden at length he nodded as a signal to the leader of the choir then the lutes emitted a gentle sound and fresh young voices responded to them then girl dancers from cause eunice's countrywomen moved nimbly their rosy bodies shining through translucent robes at the end an egyptian soothsayer forecast the future of the guests from the motions of gold fish enclosed in a crystal vessel when they had had enough of these amusements petronius lifted himself slightly from his syrian cushion and said carelessly friends pardon me if i ask a favor from you at this banquet it is this let every guest accept from me as a gift the goblet from which he spilt wine in honor of the gods and for my well-being the goblets of petronius glittered with gold and precious stones and masterly carvings 
although the distribution of gifts was customary in rome joy filled the hearts of the revellers some of them thanked him and praised him loudly others said that jupiter himself had never honored the gods in olympus with such precious gifts there were even some who hesitated about accepting them since these gifts were of such unprecedented value petronius lifting up a marine vase resembling a rainbow in brilliancy said this is the goblet from which i spilt wine in honor of the lady of cyprus henceforth let no lips touch it and let no other hand pour out wine from it in honor of any other deity he cast the precious vessel down upon the floor strewn with lilac-colored crocuses and when it broke into small fragments he said in answer to the general amazement dear friends be merry and marvel not old age and debility are sad comrades for the last years of life so i will give you a good example and good advice as you see you need not wait for them but before they come you can depart of your own free will as i depart what is thy intention cried a number of voices at once i intend to be merry to drink wine to hear music to gaze at these divine shapes which you see by my side and then to fall asleep with my head crowned with flowers i have already taken leave of caesar will you hearken to what i have written to him as a farewell he took a letter from under the purple cushion and read as follows o caesar i know that thou anxiously awaitest my coming and that thy loyal and friendly heart yearns for me day and night i know that thou wouldst rain gifts upon me make me the prefect of thy praetorian guards and command tigellinus to become that for which the gods created him an overseer of mules in those thy lands which thou didst inherit by the poisoning of domitius pray pardon me if i now swear to thee by hades and by the shades of thy mother thy wife thy brother and seneca who are all there that i cannot go to thee life is a great treasure my beloved and from this treasure i have known how to select the most precious gems but in life there are many things which i cannot longer endure pray do not think that my feelings were hurt because thou didst kill thy mother thy wife and thy brother because thou didst burn rome and send to erebus all the honest men in thy empire no grandson of chronos death is the common doom of humanity and one could expect nothing else from thee but to lacerate my ears for long years to come with thy singing to see thy mountebank legs contorted in the pyrian dance to listen to thy playing thy declamation thy poems o oh, wretched suburban versifier would be too much for my strength and has aroused in me a wish to die rome stops her ears to avoid hearing thee the world laughs at thee and i wish no longer to blush for thee nor can i do it the howls of cerberus my beloved though they resemble thy singing will less offend me for i have never been his friend and i do not need to be ashamed of him farewell but sing no more kill but write no poems poison but dance not turn incendiary but do not play on the harp such are the wishes and such the last friendly advice sent to thee by the arbiter of elegance the banqueters were struck dumb with terror they knew that the loss of the empire would have been a less cruel blow to nero they knew also that the man who wrote that letter must die 
at the same time pallid fear seized them for their own sakes because they had been present at its reading petronius burst into a laugh so genuine and so gay that it seemed as if the whole matter were merely an innocent joke then he glanced around him and said be merry and drive away fear nobody need boast that he heard this letter read i myself will boast of it only to charon when he ferries me over the river he nodded to the greek physician and stretched his arm out to him the skilful greek in the twinkling of an eye bound it with a golden ribbon and opened the vein at the bend of the elbow the blood spouted out upon the cushion and covered eunice who supported the head of petronius bending over him she said master didst thou think that i would leave thee if the gods would grant thee immortality and caesar were to give thee the rule of the whole world i would yet go with thee petronius smiled raising himself slightly he touched his lips to hers and replied come with me then he added thou hast truly loved me my divine one and she stretched her rosy arm out to the physician and soon her blood flowed out and mingled with his he gave a sign to the leader of the choir again harps and voices resounded first they sang harmodius then the song of anacreon in which the poet complained of having found under the tree the frozen and weeping child of aphrodite of having brought him in warmed him back to life and dried his wings and then of how the ingrate had in return pierced his heart with an arrow since which time he had lost all peace of mind petronius and eunice reclining against each other beautiful as two gods listened smiling and growing paler when the song was ended petronius ordered more wine and fresh dishes to be served and commenced a discussion with the guests seated near him about all those graceful trifles which usually occupied the minds of the banqueters finally he summoned the greek to bind up his veins for a moment explaining that drowsiness overpowered him and he wished to yield himself to slumber before death put him in eternal sleep and thus he fell asleep when he awoke the head of the maiden lying beside him had already assumed the color of a white lily on his breast he placed it on the cushion to get a final look at it then his veins were opened again at his nod the singers began a new song of anacreon and the harps accompanied it so gently as not to drown the words petronius grew paler and paler when the last sounds died away he turned once more to the banqueters and said friends acknowledge that with us perishes but he could not finish with a last movement his arm embraced eunice his head fell on the cushion and he breathed his last but the banqueters gazing at these two white bodies resembling two marvellous statues well knew that with them had perished all that remained to them in their world its poetry and beauty end of part 3 chapter 31